John chapter 7. It's in your bulletin or if you have your Bibles, if you would please turn there. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus said to them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, Where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they were trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? 
Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why did you bring him in? No one ever spoke. Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And uh, we're going to continue in our sermon series in the book of John. And as we do, we have yet another long narrative of Jesus dealing with public scrutiny. He's running around as he was last week, as we saw him doing last week, running around acting and talking divine. And people are just confused about who he is. It reminds me of a song from way back by a Christian artist by the name of Bob Bennett. I love that album. And it sums up the public's thoughts concerning this Jesus and even some of ours. It goes like this. There's a man down in the street says he's the Messiah, telling people he's a chosen one, says that he is in the Father and the Father's in the Son. Empty nets made full of fish and blind eyes that see Didn't he used to work with wood back in Galilee? Now he's in a synagogue telling people they are wrong to live as whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Some say he is the son of God. Others laugh and call him mad. Well, do you think he's who he says he is or just a carpenter gone bad? People talking about him wherever I go, they say he teaches with authority. Is there something I don't know? They say it is his fervent prayer that we stay in the Father's care and believe that he is the Word made man. Some say he is the Son of God. Others laugh and call him mad. Well, do you think who he, do you think he's who he says he is? Or just a carpenter gone bad? Is Jesus all this time with all of the present-day followers of Christianity sitting in this room, some of you, simply a carpenter gone bad, lost his ever-loving mind and way? Is he Jesus Christ superstar, a tragic story of a popular cult social leader? Or is he who he says he is? I contend and I believe The Bible teaches that Jesus came to stir up a world of questions in providing for us only one sure answer. He is who he says he is. The Son of God, God come in the flesh, the Messiah, the one who came to make all things that are wrong right, to make all things that are broken healed, and people separated from God once again and for all times. His. This narrative lets us know this about the Lord Jesus among the questions. It is clear, and here are your points 
for those who take points. That he came for judgment. Secondly, that he came to break our laws. And finally, he came to take our death sentence. The scripture tells us here that not even Jesus' brothers believed in him. Look with me again at verses 1 through 6. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go up to Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he, if, he, if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. This big Jewish celebration, the, the, the feast of booths for Jesus' brothers was like the Jewish version of American Idol or, or X Factor, where since they did not believe in him and what he was preaching, he could finally get the gong and get booed off. Jesus' brothers were like the other four in the Jackson 5. Go on, Michael. You're 10 years old, do your solo, waiting for him to fall on his face. And I think Jesus' brothers are imagining that in Judea, with with this big crowd, this Galilean ghetto superstar, still selling his gospel mixtapes out of his trunk, will get a rude awakening when he gets around others who are not his homeboys and homegirls and around the Pharisees, those who already made it. And then maybe he will go back to making tables and not making Messiah talk. And the Bible says Jesus refuses to go with them, saying it is not his time. But it says that about the second half of the feast, that he did go. Jesus was not lying to his brothers that he was not going. But what he was doing is he just was not going to go to their feast for their agenda and according to their set misconceptions about him. As a matter of fact, they weren't the only ones looking for him to prove himself. The Bible says this in verse 11, that the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Now, when it says Jews here, it means the religious rulers and and bigwigs of the day, the establishment as opposed to the regular folks called the crowds or the people. And they were all looking for him, and there is this big buzz in the crowd. But, but by not showing up with his entourage in red carpet style, Jesus was saying, I am not coming for what you think I am. So he came privately. You got to wonder how he sneaked in. Side note, I was reading some commentaries, look at some historical stuff. Because when I read the scriptures, you know, I was laughing with John this week in the office, because when I read the scriptures, Jesus does a lot of disappearing, almost like he has ninja powers. You know, Jesus was walking, and they looked for him, and he disappeared into the crowd. Or he disappeared, and he slipped out. How is Jesus doing it? You know, I wonder. Unlike what Hollywood and Michelangelo and Da Vinci and a whole bunch of Euro-Greek starstruck artists might have drawn for us. 
Jesus was not a standout, long-haired, lead singer for some rock band, hippie-looking, conditioned, dirty, blonde hair having, blue-eyed, gazing, six-foot-something dude. He was probably curly-haired, curly-black-haired, Palestinian, a la Ben Laden-looking, brown-skinned, five-something, dark-browned-eyed Jew. He wouldn't stand out in a crowd. He was just hidden. I know when we see the Jesus movies, here comes this dude, and you're like, that one right there is Jesus. <laughs> the Bible even says in the Old Testament, he would not have an appearance that would make you think that's the Messiah. As a matter of fact, he would have looked like anything but the Messiah, and the reason he would have is to prove the fact that God would have to draw you to him by his spirit and not by his looks. Y'all hear that? Y'all feel that? I know I did when I heard that. Because that's how Euro-informed mind's eye and perception of Jesus being blown up. Right now. He was not comely. He didn't look like somebody we thought we would want to follow. But anyway, he comes in private. Because unlike what his brothers wanted or thought he might have wanted, Jesus came for judgment. By coming by privately and unannounced to the feast, Jesus was declaring this, I am my own man, son of man that is. I am God all by myself. I don't need nobody else to tell me to account for me or put me on stage or put me on blast. He didn't come to the court of public opinion but for, the, but for private Reasons to soon be revealed, the reasons of God, his Father. Contrary to what folks might have wanted or thought, Jesus did not come to get the world's or the establishment or the religious industries or the crowd's approval or to provide proof that he was the Messiah. See, he didn't come to be judged, but to bring judgment. Look with me at verse 7. The world cannot hate you, talking to his brothers, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And then look with me at verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who, has, who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? He did not come for us to make a ruling on him and the gospel, but for the gospel to make a ruling on us in our world based on how we respond and receive him and his teaching. He even says here, when, when they're wondering under what authority he says the things he does and what school of learning he went to or didn't go to, he says that he learned from God himself, which means this for them. You can only and should, own, should only interpret and understand what you know about God from what I, Jesus, say about him. 
that I should not be judged by what you think, but because I get my stuff from a higher authority, God himself, and I'm God himself, your stuff should be judged by what I say and do. Jesus saying, I don't have to prove I am true because I am not seeking your glory or approval because I live in and for the glory of God perfectly and not according to what mankind But they keep looking for proof. Because just like them, it's hard for us just to accept this dude walking around saying, I'm under nobody's authority but God's. You know, you gotta, you're not going to get along with anybody who does something you disagree with and they say, I was sent by God. That person, they're going to they get beat down. But they keep looking for proof, the Bible says, of his authority that proves something more about them than it does Jesus. Look at verse 27 with me. But we know where this man comes from. They said, can he be the Christ? Because he has to come from a certain place. But in, in, let me explain what's going on. Some people believe that Jesus had to come from uh, Bethlehem and had to be descended of David. We're going to get into some of that in a minute. And some believe that if he was truly the Messiah, we wouldn't be able to tell where he came from. He was just supposed to, boom, show up somewhere, like from the sky, because he was not human only, but also God. But look with me at verse 27, what they said. But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. There is this dispute about his birthplace, again, because many believe the Messiah will come from nowhere. And then on the other side, in verse 42, it says this, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? That he would be born in Bethlehem and not Galilee, his hometown, and be a descendant of David. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the time when some politicians, or I don't know who they were, were trying to prove that Obama wasn't born in the States, and they were like, wanted him to present his birth certificate to prove he was born here and could run for and hold the office of president, and then some believe he was a Muslim, though it was documented that he was a member of a church, and then when asked publicly by Pastor Rick Warren, said that he was a Christian and believed Jesus died for his sins. And still... After presenting the birth certificate of profession of faith, folks believed the birth certificate was a fake and that it was secretly a Muslim who was working for Obama's America to turn this country into an Islamic stronghold. And it, in the end, didn't prove anything more or different about your president. It did, however, prove and bring judgment and light on something very dark and foolish about politics in this country and the people who would use or follow them in that way on both sides. The Jews wanted a birth certificate from Jesus to prove that he could run for the office of the prophet or Messiah. They want proof for themselves, and here is the truth about Jesus. He will not give us what our eyes won't and can't see or comprehend, and then when he does give us what we wanted, our eyes and minds won't accept it. Jesus even comes back 
and says that you don't know where I came from because I came from heaven. But we do know he was born in Bethlehem for those looking for birthrights. But what they did prove about themselves through Jesus was that they were prejudiced against Jews who grew up in Galilee and so can't even receive what is clearly known about him or that they were too angry about Jesus to research or accept the truth. And then in verse 19, he lets them know that he knows that the holy leaders want to kill him. And what he is showing them and us is that in your judgment or misjudgment of me, the Messiah, the Savior, is a ruling and judgment on your own hearts. And what is it? That you truly are in the dark. That you Pharisees hate me, as verse 6 says, because I am not on trial. I am judge and prosecute of sin. And by the way, you act and respond to me and, and, and the gospel message. And when you do, you, you, you proclaim that you do not speak for God and are not very godly. You are gossips and liars and mobsters and bigots and sinners before God. When Jesus comes through the gospel through the preaching of the word, through the Bible and prayer and worship and living of his people, even us believers, along with everyone else, start believing we are called and have a right to judge him or make a ruling over his messiahship. Over the scripture, and I warn you now, if you get into a courtroom and put Jesus on the stand to prove and put the gospel on trial, it will only accuse and convict you of your sin and force you into a condemnation that will make you reject what is actually true. Let me let you, a little, let you know a little truth about Jesus. You can remember this and you can tell your friends. He will not let anyone be his judge his sarcastic Simon Cow or his cool CeeLo. He will not let you put him in hell's kitchen and cuss him out and undress him based on the taste of his religious food. He is the ruler. He is the judge. And we have entered a game with him for our good, we, we will, for our good, and we will come out as unrighteous sinners in dire need of spiritual help. Remember this cartoon that used to be on a Looney Tunes video? I love this cartoon. Y'all ever seen the cartoon of the singing frog? Hello, my darling. Hello. Yeah. Okay. This dude just sitting out. Frog comes up singing. It ain't good that you just have a singing frog. Can't just enjoy and love the singing frog as a pet. What's the first thing the man does, right? I know. If I get this singing frog in front of people... Right? I'll make some money. So he takes all his money, and the frog just is singing in the apartment. He's counting up the money, and he sets up this big stage, and then he puts the frog, and the frog's just a singing back there behind the curtain. And when they open the curtain, ribbit. Man even ends up going to jail for the frog. Frogs, because the man loses all his money, frog singing in the park, and everyone's like, quit singing, you need to be quiet in the park. They turn their back, frog starts singing, they think it's the man, and the man's like, it's the frog, it ain't the frog, it's you, and he goes to jail for the frog. 
What's this got to do with Jesus? I don't know. I'm going to make a connection somehow. It proved that he was greedy and money-loving, and he began to hate the frog for not showing up or performing the way he wanted. It just showed him up for a greedy, believing a frog could sing, fool. We want to put Jesus on our own judgment. We want him to perform. And let me tell you, if you try to put Jesus on your performance treadmill according to your judgment, and if he has to jump through certain hoops to be true and be real, you will come out looking like the greedy, selfish, sinner who needs him that you really are. We believe or not are always putting Jesus and the gospel to the test. Consciously or subconsciously, of whether he's really worthy to be called and act as our Lord when and where and how he wants, but we end up getting the failing grade when we do that. You see, like the Jews, we have these laws that we live by. Empirical or, or historical or, and even godly biblical stuff that Jesus and the gospel, to be believed by us, must fit in and under, but it actually keeps us from the truth and grace Jesus offers. And God sent Jesus, and Jesus came to break our laws, the laws we've created and shaped that keep us from God's truth and God's grace. When he confronts the, the Pharisees in verses 19 through 24 about how they use the law, he is saying, because you seek the glory of yourself and want to be in control of people ultimately and control people in your religion or, or your own life, the laws you have made along with and added to God's revelation have made you and others untruthful and hypocritical. Let me tell you what's going on. You see, they created so many rulings about which laws are more important than others, that they had a conflict between circumcision and the Sabbath. So they ruled and believed and judged because God gave Abraham the law of circumcision before he gave Moses the law of the Sabbath that Abraham's trumped Moses's. But that was their little judgment thing. And because of it, they had to be hypocrites and make exceptions in other things or be hypocrites or wrong about the law. You see, this kind of stuff happens that you miss God's point of the law, of God's revelation, which is made to love you and others and love God when you get all legalistic and start making up your own special and holy and self-securing and glorifying laws and rules about how and what God and Jesus and you and others are supposed to be, and it inadvertently can make you reject like they did Jesus' healing of the crippled man, something God wants to do good in redeeming for you and others. Some of us, like the Pharisees, make ourselves and others hypocrites that live in falsehood when we try to make what doesn't truly make us righteous make us righteous. You see, God's grace alone in Christ makes us righteous. But when we reject God's grace and try to be good people or make people good on our own, on our terms and measurements, we end up making laws and making rules around God's laws and making rules without God around and make what God's sin, not sin, and true, not true, and calling what is not sin, sin, and not true, what is true. Some of us believe 
in this room that we should not live holy. That we should have any set of disciplines. No Christian disciplines. We shouldn't be held accountable for praying, for reading the Bible, for nothing. For our Christian relationships, what we watch on TV, what we listen to, there are no rules because of grace. We're afraid of anything with rules or accountability because we believe we'll be legalistic while others believe on the other side that we must set rule upon rule and have one hour of this every day in this way and, and read this much Bible and go to this many prayer meetings and do this and that in order to be truly the Lord's. Some of us have ruled and judged and legislated That's right. Ruled, judged, and legislated that Jesus must fall in line with our empirical and historical data and be more scientifically appealing, or he can't be the Lord. Some of us have judged and ruled and legislated that God's people not look so goofy. Right? Look at them church people. That ain't God. Some of us have legislated that God not have made Jesus so human and confined to history and have his story told by human beings in the Bible. Some of us have legislated that God not show up all, you know, not show up at all, but just be the force out there, some unknown entity. The fact that God has revealed himself in Christ completely destroys God in our mind. Some of us have legislated that God must make us prosperous so that he must answer our prayers when and how we want. And some of us have legislated that we or God are not faithful if we are not prosperous because we are still sick or because our marriage is rough or because money is bad or because God's church people sin too and are just as greedy. That this Christian thing is a farce. And some of us have legislated that, that there's some other ancient text out there and because there seems to be hell in the body, Bible, God can't have hell and Jesus can't talk about it. Or if he does, he's really really not Jesus, that's something that the, that, the, that the writers put in later. Even applies to those who want to do good things for society. We're trying to keep America godly or protect our children or protect our marriage or keep hold on to our rights or make the rich mad or the poor and lazy ashamed and pushing them to work harder like you did or shame people for not being a Christian like you or keeping people feeling good by it being okay that they don't believe in Jesus because we are all God's beautiful children who will get to God somehow in our own way Just be a good person, and if the good outweighs the bad, you'll get into heaven. And if that's not true about what we see in the Bible and true about Jesus, then the Jesus we see in Scripture who showed up is not right. Or if you don't hate these particular things, abortion and homosexuality publicly in the right-wing or left-wing way, or vote, or don't vote for this person, you are not truly a believer. Laws upon laws and upon laws and rules upon rules that we not only try to live by and put on other people, but we actually take those laws and rules and make our Lord submit to them. We make our Lord a liar. We make him say things that he's not said. We make him promise things that he's not promised. And if we don't get it, then we make another law that says the reason we didn't get it is because we didn't have enough faith. Or the reason we didn't get it is we missed this one Bible verse. We make law upon law upon law, and it widens the gap between us and God and his grace. 
And what Jesus is showing us in the scripture is that though we all want to and are naturally born, hear me now, you ain't strange. You are naturally born to be your own and everyone else's and even God's personal lawmaker, judge, and jury. You know why? Because you're naturally born a sinner. That's why. So as soon as you pop out the womb, you become the legislator, judge, ruler, lawyer, doctor, whatever, president, emperor, uh, ruler, whatever of your own life. And your, some of us whole life, God has to kind of find his way underneath our legislative system. He can become a part of it, but we don't want his grace blowing it up and blowing it open because it's only there we find a love and truth of God. We actually become, when we try to be good law-keeping people, you know, trying to do all the rules and regulations of being good or being better than what the strict Christians believe or the strictness of the Bible suggests because, you know, the Old Testament had no grace. New John, he was kind of loose. And Matthew, he was this. You know, we kind of make up our own little rules from, from where? Like, okay, so you've got your rules about God. You've got your, you know, hoops that Jesus needs to run through or jump through or God has to get through or the Bible or the gospel has to run through in order to be right. Where did you get that? Jesus asked the Pharisees, so I ask you, by what authority do you speak and believe and legislate such things about your life? Where? What school did you go to? And whatever's taught, whoever taught you that, where did they get their authority? We become law-breaking actors, actresses, and activists who crusade against the cross sometimes while wearing one around our necks. Our personal laws and short and blindsided insecure opinions and judgments of God and others of how and why the world and people in it are and us to be, to, to be, need to be to be right must be broken and infiltrated and informed by the gospel, by who and what Jesus is and did. You know the one person you don't trust, but you should out on the, on the football field and a basketball court? It's a referee with the glasses this thick, right? You're like, oh, no. We make, when I was in college, we used to make jokes. Oh, no, here comes the referee with the glasses this thick. Looking like that, right? Looking like Mr. Magoo, you know, all looking around. He ain't going to see it. The truth of the matter is in this world, if you don't have the thick glasses of the prescription of Jesus Christ, all the laws that are clear before you will be twisted and blurred and be read by you wrongly. You need his gospel lens to look through, to judge rightly. See? Jesus came to rebel. And to lead an insurrection in our lives, in your life, for your own good. And it will feel, let me tell you how it's going to feel when the gospel comes in your life and drops the bomb. It will feel like you are losing your morals and world 
and bearings when he does. And there is not one person in this room that doesn't and won't and hasn't felt Jesus buck and rage against your machine for your own good. Because Jesus knows these laws you have for God and yourself keep you and me from the love and grace necessary to be God's and the joy of living in that love and grace. Oh yeah, man, we start getting into grace and your rules and regulations, it gets crazy. Well then, what's the right thing to do? But to do that in us, Jesus not only came for judgment and to break our laws, but to receive the death sentence for our judgment and for our breaking of the laws. Jesus knew he was on a one-way trip to the cross for two things we see here. Calling people who are law-breaking to his grace and calling people from law-making to his grace. Look again with me at verse 6. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Then look at verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I've come from him and he sent me. Then again at verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the, to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find Find me, and where I am, you cannot come. What did he mean by this time? Time to die. Understand that as soon as he started his ministry on earth, his time on death row began to tick down. But for what? One of the biggest crimes back then that you could do that would get you arrested was, as verse 12 says, leading the people astray, being a mobster, right? But Jesus was not leading people, but calling people who were astray because before God, they were law-breaking sinners to, to repentance. He was leading them to repentance, but also away from law-making, from legalism, from being trapped into a bunch of rules that kept them from right relation with God. And for that, he had to die, not because of the Pharisees or Roman rules, but because of God. God's laws and God's love. During this feast, the festival that Jesus was at, the Jewish man would, would live in these shacks, booths they call them, to, 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 to dramatize and remember God's faithful shielding and caring for the Jews when, when, when they were freed from slavery and, and bringing them and leading them to the promised land. And part of the ceremony back then show, ceremony show, was taking up these buckets or containers of purified water up and down the steps of the temple to show God's providing water when they were in the desert. And then apparently they had a light show at night to be about God's promised light and leading presence of darkness like he led them through the desert when they could not see. So Jesus 
in the middle of all this water going up and down and lights in the middle of the night, he jumps up and says this in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit has not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus saying that he is God's shelter from this world, that he is God's life and refreshing water and the deserted deadness of this world, that he is God's presence and assurance that is with you when you can't know and see it all, when you can't judge things clearly. But to be that, he would have to take on our death sentence for being lawbreakers and lawmakers. Man, if there was one thing clear from what we read back then and even see now, people were hurting and oppressed by sin, living hoping that God or something would, would deliver and see and respond to them. And those who could not wait, whose faith had run low, built human-made shelters of rules and laws and acting good to hide their sins and brokenness, but to not truly and finally be forgiven, but to hide themselves from God's wrath and from the shame and fear of the world with man-made rules and laws. But this ceremony and circumstance of living, this dramatization of salvation that we are playing today is but a temporary show, a pull to and a put on. You and I don't need any more rules or any more self-made shelters or our self-rule from the storms of life. And certainly we don't need any more drama in this world. We need something or someone real and true. So Jesus came, as verse 29 says, sent by the Father to call his people, you and me who are straying, living in sin and legalism and, and self-righteousness into life and freedom and light out of the dark and the desert and self-destruction. But it would mean that Jesus would have to come from and then go where we couldn't. Jesus is saying, I was sent from the Father where you couldn't know to save you, to rescue you from the burdens of sin and fake salvation with all of its impossible man-made and control rules and regulations. And to do that, I will have to leave you and go somewhere you can't. With the temple in the background, this is what I believe. I believe Jesus was referring to the temple and going into God's very presence behind the curtains where God's holy presence was, where the high priest would go with the sins of the people on him. So when he came out from that place where they couldn't go, he would come back to bless the people with forgiveness and grace. But Jesus would not go into the Holy of Holies that way but bearing the sins and false living and regulations of people on him, Jesus will stand or rather hang on a cross before God in his holy presence as a sinner and be sentenced 
and receive to, to receive to what we deserve, death and hell and wrath of God for our law-breaking and law-making. And when Jesus comes back as he did when he rose from the grave, like the high priest, he will come back with a blessing from God for his people. And this is the blessing. It is that he is the water of life and he offers forgiveness. Jesus will come back from the grave and from the cross with what we couldn't for ourselves so that we can stop trying to get it for ourselves. Forgiveness and righteousness and security and truth and power to become God's people who can finally live in the grace and love of God. To no longer have to be law-breaking or law-making, but God-living and God-loving. That the Spirit of God would, would supernaturally come because Jesus died and rose again. And when he came back, from where we couldn't go, he will send the Spirit, and the Spirit would supernaturally apply what Jesus done to what we re- read in the Bible and what we hear preach, and when we pray and when we take the sacraments and when we're in fellowship with each other, that we can truly believe and then assure us without legalistic false rules or fear of the condemnation of our sin, that we can be declared and treated like his child, righteous without performance, and fully loved by God in this world, and we know that is who we are. Jesus is not a carpenter gone bad. But I can tell you, no one, ever made a piece of wood work so well for you and me. Because gone to the cross and the grave, resurrected, he brought and offered and gives the love and the grace of God to our lives and world that we couldn't get, legislate, or work for ourselves. Amen.